spoke yesterday about the first battle Klai Yisrael fought after Yeshua died, and that was against Adoni Bezek. Why that was significant, it was something which was used as a way to frighten the other Malchik or other groups of Knanim that Klai Yisrael, even after Yeshua, was still able to defeat them. Now, the next pasuk needs a lot of explanation. We're holding by Perakal of Pasuk Ches. And it says, Vayilachamu b'nei Yehuda b'Yerushalayim. B'nei Yehuda then went to attack Yerushalayim. Vayilkudu Oysa, they captured it. Vayakol of Yicharev, they killed the people there by sword. Vayasair Shilchu Baish. And the city they burnt in fire. The Pasuk is difficult because it contradicts the Pasuk in Yerushalayim. Perek Tesvav in Yoshua we was talking about the different places where there were still areas where the Knanim hadn't yet been able to hadn't yet been able to or the Neyud hadn't been able to destroy them so there there's a passage that says I'm reading Perek Tesvav in Yeshua Pasuk Samach Gimel and the Pasuk there says The Yevusi who were the inhabitants of Yishalayim B'nai Yehuda weren't able to get rid of them, to destroy them or to at least move them from Yishalayim And the Yevusi remained in the midst of B'nai Yehuda in Yishalayim until today so Adyem Azeh in the Novi always means until the date when the Novi was written. So this is, that was the time of Yeshua. So, right, so that's just, you're saying a good point. But the problem is something else. Why why, why does the Apostle say, say over there that the Bnei Yehuda weren't able to uh, destroy them or to evict them? It wasn't because Bnei Yehuda weren't strong enough. Chazal say, Amr Bishab and Karcha, Yechoidim Hoyu, they were able to because of the promise that Avram made to Avimelech in this week's parasha, he promises him that he won't attack him or the Nini or the Nechti, which means his grandson or his great-grandson. And therefore, even though we're talking a significant amount of time later, it seems that the great-grandsons of Avimelech, at least some of them, were still alive in Yerushalayim, and therefore they weren't allowed to destroy them. And... The, when were they were when were they allowed to destroy them? So the Chazal says until David and Melech came, and it says by David that he conquered Yevus, which was called Yerushalayim. So that's the case that we have a pasuk in Yeshua telling us that they weren't allowed to destroy the Yevus in Yerushalayim because they were the sons of Avimelech. So then how can the pasuk tell us in Shoftim that now you had fought against Yerushalayim, destroyed it, killed all the people, and burned the city? There's two ways to answer. The first one is if you're talking about simply with Ad Chazal, and now we're not referring to this Chazal at the Midrash that we're talking about the the descendants of Avimelech, so we could say, like Rabbi Ram Tzvisa, which is correct, that Akubi was a later stage. In the time of Yeshua, they weren't able to overpower them, and later on they were. If that would be the simple chat, then it works very well with what we understood yesterday. And that is that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Yehuda, like we said, in the Nusatis Aretz Biyadah, that now he's going to be, the Yehuda will be successful. And we saw the reason for that was, was that that way they, they wouldn't lose their deterrence over the Knanim. And therefore, even though they hadn't been able to take 
Yerushalayim the first time in Yeshua's lifetime, now after he died they were able to take it. That's the one Mahalach uh, which the Malbim suggests based on the Pshat, which is that we're talking about uh, the reason they couldn't take it then is they weren't strong enough, and now when they tried to retake it, this time they were successful. Uh, if it's, we're going with the Mahalach of Chazal, and that is that it's talking about the promise made to the sense of Avimelech, so there's a, it's very indicative, the Pasuk's very accurate. Here it just says that they fought against Yerushalayim and they destroyed Yerushalayim. In the Pasuk in Yeshua, it says they couldn't destroy the Yevusi in Yerushalayim. When it comes to David, again it talks about the Yevusi in Yerushalayim. The Yevusi were the descendants of Avimelech. Uh, and the, there were other inhabitants in Yerushalayim, it seems, as well. And therefore those, they could be destroyed. In other words, it wasn't the, the, even though the Yevusi stayed as in the midst of Neyhuda because they were singled out as descendants of Avimelech, but uh, the rest of the inhabitants of Yerushalayim, there was no reason not to destroy them. In which case, when the Apostle is talking here about Yerushalayim and the fact that they destroyed it, we're talking about the rest of Yerushalayim. That's the second possible answer, which will be discussing the, the, the promise that was made to Abimelech and those were his descendants. What's, one more point which needs to be explained is that before that, we already find the Machlokes in Yerushalayim, in Malchama, against Yerushalayim, when the five kings attacked Yisrael at the beginning of Sefer Yerusha. So there also we find one of them was Melech Yerushalayim. And over there the Pasuk says, that is after the story of Givon, correct? When the five kings to get, get, so to speak, came together to fight Givon, and Yerusha went to help them, so the Pasuk there says, in Perikyot, in Yerusha, and then he brings the other kings together with him, the king of Hebron, the king of Yarmus, and the king of Yophir, like we saw. And uh, they all fight, fight against the Yehudah together. And we find that as a result, Klai Yisrael uh, destroy all five of those kings and they take the cities. And there the Pasuk said also, the end of that parakeet, Yud. That they took the kings of these five cities and they killed them, which is the end of Perak Yodjes, the Pasach of Gimel, and Haftarah, they killed the five kings. And so there was already a, a milchama against Yerushalayim before this. Now, that's not a... There we saw already then that there was a milchama that they killed the king of Yerushalayim, that they killed the other five kings. It doesn't say that they conquered the city of Yerushalayim. That's what's going what happened at a later stage here in the time of the Shoftim. Okay, so that's the, that was the second conquest. The, um, this is the Mahalach of most Mephoshim. There is the Mahalach of the Ralbag, and that is that, uh, that the Pasuk here, as well as the next Pasuk, is going back to what happened at the time of Yoshua, not what happened at the time of the Shoftim. Um, what would be the reason for that? We'll see, as Hashem, in the next Tufsukim, when it tells us the next end of the story of Hebron. So the next campaign after Yishalayim was against Hebron, and now we see two interesting things. It says in Pasuk Tes, And where were they? They went to fight against the Knanim who were living in Hebron. The name of Hebron was Kiris Arba because of the four giants who lived there, which were Anok and his three sons, Sheishai, Achimel, and Talmai. And now it says, Now Bnei Yehuda were strong enough to fight against and conquer, destroy these three giants. It's interesting, it doesn't say what happened to their father. Maybe he's no longer alive at that stage. But uh, they conquered the giants and therefore they took heaven as well. Now again, the, this is a steer to the Pasuk in Yeshua. 
Because here it's mashmul that Bnei Yehuda, as an army, went to attack Hebron. Whereas if we saw earlier, Kale was the one who attacked Hebron because Hebron had been promised to him. Like we saw in the Torah, because Kale withstood the aids of the Miraglim. And the way he mentioned it was by going to Hebron to Davin. So the Pasuk says that Hashem said to Kalev, I gave Hebron in place that he went there. So therefore it was given to him as a Nachla. We saw that Kalev came to Yeshua to request the Nachla. Yeshua gave it to him. And the Pasuk said over there that Kalev then went and drove out the giants who were living in his Nachla, which was, which was Kirzar, the, the areas around Hebron. And if that's the case, why is it telling us now that, that Bnei Yehuda were the ones who do that? The Pasuk there, again, in Perak Yudalit, Pasuk uh, Tesvav. It says, we'll go, we'll go back to Pasuk before that already. It, tells, it says, Yeshua came, to, came to ask Yeshua for Hebron. And he says, give me the... He asks Yeshua to give him the place Hashem promised him. You heard that the giants are there. Hashem will be with me. I'll drive them out. Maybe she'll be with me and I'll drive out the giants. And uh, so the Mashmoor says that Kalev was the one to drive out the giants. What we find over here is that the Mashmoor says that it was the Bnei Yehuda that did it later on. So how do we reconcile these two psukim? And same thing in the next pasuk, which repeats itself from the pasuk in Yeshua, and that is the next, the, the fourth campaign. The fourth city was Dvir. It says, They went to Dvir, Vishem Dvir, Lefanim Kira Sefer. And now when it came to the fight against Dvir, so the pasuk is word for Rishon in Yeshua. Also, Vayayme Kalev. Kalev said, Ashiyakes Kira Sefer Lechado, and the Sati Lo is Isha. Whoever manages to conquer Kira Sefer, the city called Dvir, Kalev says, I'll give him my daughter as a wife. Osniel ben Knaz, who was Kalev's brother, younger, his younger brother conquered it, and he gave him Achsa as a wife. This story, this Pasuk was also repeated in Sefer Yosha. And because of that, the Mephoshim ask these three campaigns, which seem to be doubled up, you know, there was a fight against Yishalayim, the fight against Hever, and the fight against Dvir, why is the Pasuk repeating here what it already said in Sefer Yosha? So there's two options. Either the Pasuk in Yeshua is talking about the future. In other words, then it was talking about the Nachla of Yehuda, the portion which was given to Yehuda. And it said that part of the Nachla of Yehuda, Yehuda themselves had to conquer, and they did conquer. But it wasn't telling us chronologically when it happened then. It didn't happen at the time of Yeshua. It really only happened now. Right? So then it's telling us that these, this was the land given to Yehuda, and you should know Yehuda conquered them. But the, only, the actual conquest only happened later in the time of the Shaftim. Why is it Sorry? Did Yeshua write his own statement? Yeshua wrote his own statement. So that's a good question. In other words, uh, w- w- things which Yeshua writes about, which happened after he died, which there are other things in the Sefer also. For example, the end of the Sefer, which talks about after Yeshua's death, when Lazarus Cohen died, when was that written? Who was it written by? Um, so he- here would be the same question. That's what Farshim would say, that Yeshua was, that the Psukim there are basically telling us what happens in Shoftim, uh, because that was when when Yeshua, when Yeshua conquered the land. For at the time of Yeshua, it hadn't yet been conquered. And and uh, it only happened later on. Either the Pesukim were added to Yeshua by Shmuel Hanavi, who wrote Shaftim, or Yeshua wrote them through Rakhakoyesh, I don't know what to say, one or the other. What what a little bit corroborates this idea, and that is the story only happened now 
in Shaftim, and not in the time of Yeshua, is the fact that Kolev we see taking charge of the battle. Right? Kolev says, Ever's going to fight the city, I'll give him my daughter. Right? In the time of Yeshua, when Yeshua was directing the campaign, we don't find Kolev <coughs> necessarily uh, in charge. Mashankin, after Yeshua dies, and Yehuda is now fighting on their own, so then Kolev is one of the, definitely the leaders, one of the elders of Yehuda, would have much more of a say in the, so to speak, in the planning or the execution of the battle. That's the one Mahalach. And therefore these things only happen now. They didn't have, even though they mentioned before, they didn't happen before. Why is it twice? Sorry? Why is it really twice? It really didn't happen. They're telling us the Nakhla which was given to Yehuda, so we're telling us that the cities which Yehuda was given, he only conquered later. That's the one Mahalach. The other Mahalach is the other way around. That things really happened beforehand in the time of Yeshua. And the Torah is repeating it here because, again, here we go through all the places that Shevet Yehuda conquered. And if that's the case, it would be an interesting idea. And that is that once Yehuda were given their Nachla, then they went about conquering the Nachla for themselves even before Sefer Shevetim. In other words, Yeshua had conquered the kings. Like we said, Yeshua's job was to conquer the 31 kings. Once that had been done, he apportioned the Nachla. Yeshua hadn't finished up the operation of killing all the Knanim. There still were pockets of Knanim, who just were no longer Knani kings. Like we said, by Yerushalayim. Yeshua killed the king, he had, he had done his job. He had conquered the land that was now his. And let me explain something. There's, there's a principle here, it's not Agat. The Ketosa Chalishim talks about that there's something called Kenyan Kibush Milchama, which means land which is uh, conquered in battle, there's a certain Kenyan like that. If you conquer the land in a battle, then it belongs to you. Uh, just like David and later on, for example, he fought against Aram Tov, Syria of today, and he conquered in battle, and he next to Teres Yisrael. What was the Kenyan? How did he make it his? And the answer is, Kenyan Kibush Milchom. Something which you win in a battle, that becomes yours. Okay, at what stage is it considered you've won the battle? Now, as if you're going to be coined something with Kibush Milchom, by winning the battle, what's called winning the battle? Right? So, the understanding is that winning the battle doesn't mean I've killed every single resident of the country. I don't have to exterminate everybody. Winning the battle is is that the king, who is representing the other side, has either died or conceded. And that's the case. I've won the battle, even if I haven't destroyed the population. Right? And that's why besides... Even if I don't have full control. It seems like they didn't have full control either. Right. And therefore we're going to find that in, in other cases, which wasn't negated to the kings of Canaan, there was no method to wipe out the citizens. They were allowed to keep them. With Africa, by the seven nations of Canaan, there was a method to destroy everybody. Whereas when it came to other countries, there's no reason to destroy everybody. They could keep the citizens alive. Right? So how do you win the war? You still have all the enemy citizens who are still alive. Answer is, when you've destroyed the king. He's the one who's running the battle. Or when either he's conceded or died, so now that means you've won the war. And therefore Yeshua's job was to conquer Eretz Yisrael. As, as far as he was concerned, once he had conquered all the kings of Eretz Yisrael, like we said, the, the, then he had been Kovesh. He had been conquered by Eretz Yisrael. It was all under his Rishus. It was all under his authority and his control. The fact that there were still pockets of Knanim needed now a follow-up operation to make in the midst of the struggle of the Knanim. There wasn't a lack of conquest. The, the Arabs belonged to them. And that's what it says, even in those places that they hadn't yet destroyed the Knanim, the Knanim lived in the land or in the place of Klai until today. The Israel had already, so to speak, won the land. If they were making another king, then there would be a rebellion. And then maybe that, then now they would have to fight back or at least establish themselves as an independent uh, entity, an independent state. Who would have another king and who would have that point? Let's leave another king before they actually wrecked out the citizens. Who would have another king? It would depend on what the king would do. If he would, let, let's say, revolt against the, you know, the reign or the authority of Yeshua, then yes, then he's, been, he's made a rebellion. He's now trying to acquire it for himself. And then, okay, so then until he's been defeated, he's taken it back again. 
Right, so all that's happened. It's still under the authority of, of Yusha. Which is how we spoke about yesterday. Yusha didn't need to kind of, kind of conquer Adoni Bezek. He wasn't one of the kings. So even though he was, like we said, a warlord, he had soldiers and he was powerful, he didn't own property. It wasn't like Yusha had to conquer him to conquer Eretz Yisrael. Right, so same would apply here. Yusha had conquered the king of Yishalayim, therefore Yishalayim fell under his control. The fact that the citizens were still there in the midst of Lotachai Kol Neshama hadn't yet been fulfilled, that wasn't Yeshua's, so to speak, priority. And therefore, later on, in Shavit Yehuda, even it could have been when they got the Nachla right away, could, could have gone to, you know, to take their own land by themselves and destroy the remaining Kanaanim. That wasn't necessarily Yeshua's prerogative. It, may, it could have happened before as well. Okay, so whichever one it was, obviously it didn't happen twice. The, the pastor repeated both in Yeshua and in Shavitim. And the question is when it happened before or afterwards. Regardless, it's the, the Nach is telling us over there, the, the property of Yehuda and how they conquered it, and here it's telling us the string of conquests of Yehuda, whether they happened now or before. If you're going to go with the more Pashup chat, which most of the seem to take, and that is the stories happened now, which is why here in, Yeshu, in Shavitim we're talking about the campaign of Shavit Yehuda, that's when it brings it. So we find that they conquered first Yerushalayim, then Hebron, and, and then uh, Devir. Now, the question of who was the one to conquer the three giants was the Kalev himself, it doesn't, it's not really hysteria, because over here we're talking about Yehuda, we're talking about Shevet Yehuda. So Kalev was part of Shevet Yehuda. If he was the one who actually drove out the generals, I mean the giants, it wouldn't be hysteria. That, that was the, the conquest of Shevet Yehuda. Right. The, the interesting thing is that when you, well, originally when Kalev spoke to Yeshua, he said what he's going to do is he's going to be, he's, he, it's a Shehori Hashem. Hashem will start to trace away or drive out the, the giants. What actually happened is Vayak, they, they, they killed them. So they were more, they didn't think they were going to kill them, they thought they would just chase them away, but Lemaise, the apostle tells them they, they managed to kill the giants as well. Right, now the story of, of Kiryat Sefer. Um, the simple pshat is it was a place, and uh, it needed somebody to lead the campaign. Asnil, Kalev's brother, did, and that's why Kalev gave him his daughter. Chazal ki yadua darish in this that is talking about something else completely, and that is it says, and I'll talk about it for a few minutes because it's Nagaya now, and that is it says, the Gemara says that before Moshe Rabbeinu died, he asked Yeshua, are there any questions you want to ask while you still can? And Yeshua basically told him, I was a faithful Talmud for 40 years, everything he taught I listened to and I remember, and therefore I was only left to ask. And the Gemara says, Moshe, that he felt in some way that he wasn't needed anymore to teach Torah. And as there is a punishment for that, when Moshe ben died, 3,000 talachas were forgotten. And Yeshua approaches Hashem, and he says, Hashem, please restore to me these 3,000 talachas. And Hashem doesn't do that. Hashem does not give it back to him. And uh, therefore, the Israel now didn't know what talachah was. They didn't have Moshe to ask. Yeshua wasn't being told. And that's what Kalev wanted to know. That who can, whoever is able to and like work out what the halachas in these 3,000 cases will give him his daughter, Achsa. Osniel uh, says, which means he managed to work out from Kalachaymrim or from whatever other logic he used, Binyinav, Hekash, whatever it would be, he managed to work out what the halach would be in these cases. And that was his achievement. Why was it like that? Okay, so the first thing is Pashat. The, the din that Hashem wasn't prepared to teach the halakhas to Yeshua wasn't a specific din of Yeshua. It's a din which applies to all the Nevi'im. Right, the Gemara says a number of places in Shas, Zoy Satayra, that once the Torah has been given to Moshe, nothing new, no new Torah was given to the Nevi'im. 
Right, the Gemara says Megillah, not even the shape of the letter. Right, that once the once you have given the Torah by Moshe, the Nevim weren't allowed to add to Torah. The Nevim weren't allowed to add to Torah, and therefore Yeshua was no different. He was also a Navi, and uh, we made it to be taught Torah directly from Moshe, and it wasn't going to happen. It doesn't make a difference. Right now we don't have this Torah, so if Hashem would be giving it as a Navi to Yeshua, then it would be coming to us from Yeshua. Because we don't, we don't, we've lost it from Moshe. So now we're coming from Yeshua. However, and this is an interesting point, Lema'isa, Hashem wouldn't teach it to a Novi, but the fact that we could understand it from people, that would still work. Even though that would seem to us to be a lesser level of understanding. Right? That's something we worked out from Svar or from whatever logic it would be, as opposed to something which we taught from Hashem. Never in the history did we get an indication from Shemayim which way Allah should be or... or uh... What Allah is in certain cases, it's always just from the minds of people. Or what Now, why is it like that? Why won't Hashem tell Halakha to any Navi? And just as an example of this, if you want to arrive at this, uh, unfortunately, point this out. Um, there was a Machlaikis in the time of David Amelech. David Amelech was the descendant of Rusamavia. So it was a machlaikas in the time of Gemara tells Nivamas, it was a machlaikas, was David uh, eligible to be a king? And what's even more, was David considered eligible to marry a Jew? Because when the halacha is that a descendant of a Moyavi isn't allowed him to marry into Kahal Hashem, does that just refer to a, ma- a male convert from, or even a female convert? And it was a machlaikas. The Dayagadomi is based in Paskan, the Gemara says Nivamas, that it's both a male and a female, and therefore Dayag wanted to say David's a psulkal, he's not allowed to marry a Jew. And the Gemara says that until Avner came, and he said, Kach Kublani, we based Dinoi Shal Shmuel Aramasi. That Moyavi Vilay Moyavis, I have a Messiah from the basin of Shmuel, and Moyavi and Aramayavis. And therefore, if the, a, a descendant of a lady of Moyavis is allowed to marry the Jewish people, and that was Be'etzim what allowed David to marry Shal's daughter, who was a kosher Jewish girl. Now, the, the question point out, why is it from the base Dinoi of Shmuel Aramasi? And they explained, this is exactly the point. Shmuel had two functions. He was the shofet, he was the avbeister, and he was also the navi. And therefore, Avni is saying this wasn't something which was told to Shmuel in the book. I didn't get this from Shmuel as in the book, because if that's the case, it would be invalidated. Uh, the navim answered out to Mechadish Halachas. I got it from the basin of Shmuel, which means I got it as a psak halach of Shmuel, as a, as a dayan. If that's the case, it's, it's Omid Bedin. That was Shmuel's maskana, that's the, base, that's the decision of a basin. Now the question is, why not? Why not? Why, why wouldn't Adelavim be allowed to Mechadash Halachas? So there's a very famous Maral Diskin. Um, maybe we don't have time now to say the, the, the entire Maral Diskin. It's a tremendous episode. But at least the point which is not get to us. And the Maral Diskin says like this. The Maral Diskin says, in his Akdamatus Perishalatara, he says, we know that the difference between the Nevoa of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Nevoa of the other Nevim is that the Nevoa of Moshe Rabbeinu uh, was a gather of what we call Shechinam and Abaris Mitoch Kronoi, which means Hashem spoke from Moshe's mouth. Hashem spoke from Moshe's mouth, as opposed to other Nevim who ex- described what Hashem told them in their own language. Right? I have a right from this. It seems that Maril doesn't say this, but I have a beautiful right to what he's saying. When Hashem is talking to Aaron and Miriam, and he says, Why Moshe is different to you? So Hashem says, You should know, how, do you, how dare you speak against my servant Moshe? Why? What makes Moshe different to you? So the Pasuk says that 
I speak mouth to mouth. Right? And like I always ask people, that doesn't make sense. You don't speak to somebody's mouth. You speak to somebody's ear. If I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to your mouth. I'm talking to your ear. Well, what's the expression, pe'el pe'? My mouth's talking to his mouth. It's pretty pe'el oizen, if anything. Right? What's that, dear pe'el pe'? So, and I'm just using this as a riot for the Mariel's use. He doesn't say it, but I think it's a beautiful riot. The Mariel says the difference was, when it came to Moshe Rabbeinu, so it wasn't that Moshe had to understand what Hashem said and articulate it in his own words. Hashem spoke to his mouth, which means Hashem put the words in Moshe's mouth that he wanted Moshe to say. That's the idea, pe'el pe'. I, I spoke to his mouth. I, I talk, these are the words which Moshe was given to say. And then it's the first in the Basak. Exactly. These are the words you're going to say. No other Navi was given that. The other Navi was shown something or told something, and it was left up to them to articulate it in the words they wanted to articulate it As opposed to Moshe, that's, and that's what the Chazal say. And all the other Navi said, Koyam Hashem. Something, this is like what Hashem said. I'm using my words to explain what I saw or what I heard. As opposed to Moshe, Ze'adobah, these are the words Hashem said. That's the uniqueness of Moshe. Pe'el, pe'el, da'ar, pe'el, Hashem spoke. Right, that's the Daniel's coming to, we're not going to have time to explain all of that, but uh, that's what the Mara wanted to get to. Right, and that's why it says that in the Nevi, or Misa'olam, there was Komka Moshe's Bilam. Not because Bilam was such a tzaddik, but because there also we find, Vayasim Hashem Dovar Bafi Bilam, which means Hashem put the words in Bilam's mouth. Because otherwise Bilam would have definitely not said what Hashem wanted him to say. And therefore, instead of explaining to him what he wanted him to say, he actually put the words in his mouth. So that's the same thing as the Nevo of Moshe. That when it comes to the Nevo of Moshe or the Nevo of Bilam, these were the words Hashem wanted to say. As opposed to other Nevoim, this was the message Hashem wanted to give across, but it wasn't the words Hashem wanted to say. Now, why is that important? And this is the biggest side. It says the Maril. Because when it comes to a Novi, we hear the message of Hashem. The instruction or the Nechama or the, future, the prediction of the future, and that's fine. When it comes to Torah... Well, it has to be letter perfect because we're going to learn halachas from every extra vav and extra extra yod, exactly how it's brought and exactly the way it's said. We're going to learn tilim til- til- from halachas from every letter. And if that's the case, if you're teaching halacha, then Hashem has to give you exactly the words He wants because He understands the ramifications of each letter that you're going to say. So it will never be that Torah can be taught by a Navi because since no other Navi had that ability to say Hashem's words, no other Navi could be accurate enough to say the Nebuah in a way which we could medaik every single point. Whereas in the Vu of Moshe Rabbeinu is the words Hashem said. If that's the case, we can medaik everything from that because we know these are the words Hashem wanted said. And therefore, other Nevim could give us messages, but other Nevim could never tell us Torah. Torah has to be exactly perfect. And that would never happen by another. The other Nevim didn't have that ability, so you Hashem couldn't use them as a medium to teach us new halachas. Right, so therefore Yeshua wasn't different than anybody else. Yeshua also wasn't allowed to, Hashem, so I'm not going to teach you halachas either. Right? Masha'enkin, what we work out from people, so now we understand. This is our understanding, and this is our logic, and we could. If, if you could contest the logic, we maybe still have to think about it again. It's not like we're relying on this as Dvar Hashem, which is absolute, and you can learn every, everything from it. And therefore, it had to be something which was learned from Pilpul. And uh, that was what the Gemara says, that the Kiryat Sefer was, means those halachas which would last. And the fact that Kalev, as Kalev's brother, Sneel, was able to restore them, so that's why he was, Kalev offered her, his daughter to, to his daughter to him in marriage. Right. That's the side of the marriage. Um, okay, that's so that, that's the now what, the therefore we see another point here also. And that is people often think that the development of Torah Shabalpeh only happened later. In the time of the second base of English, whatever it was, that that's when we were given the tools to 
understand the term Yipilpul, and it's not true. We see already about Nil Ben Knaz, which was a door right after Moshe Rabbeinu, already then there was the ability to understand the Torah through Pilpul. And not only that, it had to be like that. Because if the Nevi'im weren't being taught new halachas, then any halacha which there was, which comes after Moshe Rabbeinu, how are we going to know? It will have to be there. It wasn't a Nevi'im. It would have to be a, an, either a Kabbalah that they had, or they'd have to work in a Pilpul that happened then also. And therefore the Gemara says, a number of cases regarding characters in the Nakh that had an argument in numbers. For example, there's Nachlegis in David and Shmuel, and Shol, Amelech, the Gemara in Gedushin, Milvah, Prutah, Daita, Milvah, Daita, Prutah, just one example out of many. Right, right, one out of many. There wasn't, the, 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 the concept of learning Torah in the style of Torah Shabal Peh was already extant before that. The Nani Nafkimina was that once they lost Nebuah, that became primary. That's all they had. But the idea of how to elaborate on, expl- explain Torah or expound on Torah from Pilpul, we find already from the very beginning. And then Chazal tells us that all the Midas, which the Torah's Nidrashas, were given the Moshe Misenai. And therefore these things were passed down from the very beginning. They had all these things. Right, even going backwards, even before Matan Torah. Right, we find such a thing. It's true. Okay, so that's what we talk about today. The, the, the sum up is for three different Inyani. The first one, Yerushalayim. What are we talking about? Are we talking about the city? Are we talking that which which was now destroyed in modern time of Yisha? We're talking about the area besides for the Yivusim, the two Mahalchim there. We saw this, this whole parak of the campaign against Hebron and Dvir that happened now, that happened before, because the Manavi repeated twice. And lastly, the, the explanation of the Gemara that the, the fight against Dvir wasn't the place, it was to restore the halachas of Yisha, why it couldn't be given to Yisha himself, why it had to be done to be pilpul. And the Sneel, as the Av Basin, that we're going to see at the time, was the one who was able to do that and restore those halachas to us. The Hemshech of the story, next time we'll learn about Be'ez Hashem, about Gula Sidonis, Gula Stachtonis, what Kalev gave his daughter, what it means, we'll talk about next time.